Welcome to the WRSU Crew, the revolutionary show to hear all things sports, from your very own Rutgers Athletics to the hot topics in all professional and collegiate sports from around the globe. Coming to you from your own Rutgers students. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your ride with the crew. Oh, we're back. Back here on the crew and back here in Big Ten football. Troy DiSavino. Uh, joined today by Mike Nichols as well as Chris Sakonis. We've got a really, really jam-packed show. We also got John Newman. He's going to be coming on for a quick interview at around 6:20. You'll make sure you got to hear that. Um, he's from the Scarlet Spotlight. I'm sure you know your, his name. Also, Aaron Brightman's coming on today as well at 7:30 um, of on the banks. On the banks, uh, he'll be joining us. I'm sure. If you follow Rutgers Athletics, you know those names very well. I'm sure you do. Um, but I'm, like I said, I'm right now. I'm joined alongside by Mike Nichols, Chris. Guys, how you doing? doing great uh happy that there's some big 10 football back and i'm just ready ready to enjoy some nice big 10 college football man if you had told me a week ago that we'd be getting college football back or big 10 football back this soon i wouldn't have believed you for a second i i am i have not been this excited about rutgers athletics since you know march 7th when we were sitting uh in midtown watching the purdue game troy I am beyond excited. We're finally going to get to see what Greg Schiano can do uh, with his guys on the banks. It looks like, you know, Big Ten's got the safety side of things worked out, which is obviously the most important. And it looks like we're going to be able to safely watch and broadcast Rutgers football in the fall of 2020. Five weeks away till the season. Could not be more excited. Yeah, you kind of hit it on the head there because it's not just a normal season um, that we were so upset about missing out on possibly. Um, you know, it was the first season we get to see Coach Giano back here on the banks leading the Scarlet Knights, and we kind of felt robbed of that, just like we felt robbed of a lot of other things that were happening in the sports world that we had to miss out on, like the NCAA tournament so long ago. Um, but now, the big news coming out today, um, you know, Big Ten football is happening. We're getting ready to go. You said five weeks, right? So we're, we're kind of gearing up. We're getting ready to get back out there. Um, we'll see how the Rutgers team prepares to get ready for this. I know Coach Shiano talked about it a little bit today. It's a bit unprecedented to, to, to get ready to start a season while classes are going on. Don't keep in mind, you know, these guys are student athletes, so it's going to be something really, really interesting to watch as they have to get ready for an entire season to start um, while they're in classes. So it's going to be a really, really interesting thing to watch um, it's going to be a topic of conversation that we talked to uh, to John Newman about as well when he joins us. Same thing with Aaron Brayton when he joins us as well. Um, but it's a really, really strange um, time to be a, a Rutgers football fan. And, you know, we we felt really, really sad, really dis- let down, disappointed that our first season with Coach Ciano back, with the, the fresh start, the rebuild of Rutgers athletics, we felt like it was getting pushed back and postponed another season we were going to have another year of having to wait to have a good season again and start to get back on the right path. But now this this magnificent turn of events, Rutgers football is going to be back and played in 2020. And we cannot wait for it to get started. And five weeks now is seems like nothing. As originally we were thinking we had to wait till the spring. So I can wait five weeks. Um, but you know, Mike, I'd love to get your thoughts. Hey, were you expecting this to happen today? Did you really think it was going to come around this quick? We know Chris said he didn't think it was going to happen. What about you? Um... Uh, once I heard the the hot mic, I believe that was from the Nebraska coach that it was going to happen. I was I was shocked, and I I you know uh, like a week ago I had no clue, and I would have never thought that there was going to be a season this year. But um, when I heard it, 
yesterday from the hot mic from the Nebraska coach, I was like, wow, this is really going to happen. And I think at th- that point they were kind of just – they had to do it because, you know, the whole world pretty much heard it. And I, I can't wait. A uh, little little curious as to how this affects other fall sports. But other than that, I, I can't wait. We've got some time before we, we get to our first interview with John. Um, so make sure to give us a call. I'd love to hear your thoughts as, as the fans of Rutgers Athletics to hear what you have to think about this. The number is 732-932-8800. Again, 732-932-8800. It's been a really long time since I've read that number out and invited people to join us in on the conversation. But I'd love to hear your thoughts, um, get your take on what you think about Rutgers football happening this year means for the program. Um, and get your take on if, if you ever expected this to happen. Because it seemed like two weeks ago um, there was no shot. It was even like you're wondering, is the, is the spring season going to even happen? Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of advances recently over the past couple of weeks that has made this possible and has brought this opportunity to our hands. And now, as Rutgers fans, we are looking at five weeks from now, seeing the first game of the Rutgers 2020 football season. And it's a wonderful thing. It's a really wonderful thing. And it's, I, I'd argue it's almost as wonderful, if not more, if not better, than whatever what every other program in the Big Ten is looking at. Because not only are we excited to get this season going, we're excited to get a whole new path, a whole new journey for our entire program. Coach Chiano, back here on the banks, I'm sure you, you know that. I think every Rutgers football fan knows that, obviously. But, you know, that was the thing that was so disappointing for me. It was understanding, all right, we got Chiano back, but now we got to wait another year. And it was just... Ugh. It was defeating. It seemed grueling to have to think about waiting a whole other year just to finally see Rutgers football try to have a chance to get back on the banks and have a chance to defend Piscataway and to defend defend New Brunswick and, and really make a name for itself once again and restore restore its honor. Um, you know, and that was really disappointing to have to think about another year going by where we live in that that post you know era still dealing with the fallout of of Coach Ash's Rutgers football and then. You know, obviously there was a good change of events last year. We had Coach Campanelli come in, and he he started to turn the program around. And he's Luncio Campanile. <laughs> he's going to be a huge part to the program still. But it was just disappointing having to to think that we had to wait another year, and then maybe not even in the spring. Who knows? But now it's like Christmas morning. You come down the stairs. What's there wrapped up? Five weeks, Rutgers football, we're getting going. And it, it almost makes it sweeter, the fact that we thought we weren't going to get it. Now that we're being told we are going to get it. If that makes sense to you guys. But it, it's, it seems almost like now. And I think a great thing is that I think none of the players lose any eligibility this year due to all the COVID and whatnot. So we could have guys, you know, someone like Tyree Powell, who's just brought in, um, that could be, Getting you know some reps in and then can still be considered a freshman next year, it's I think is really going to be great. And that's that's probably the best thing possible for some for a program that's in Rutgers' position. You know we we know that we are far from being contenders in the national scene. We understand that it's going to take a little bit to get back there, but we were on the right path and we have the right coach now and he's bringing in the right players. Um, but the thing that helps out the most is having more opportunity and more time to work with these guys. And Mike, you hit it on the head. It's you know, it's more opportunities for these these freshmen. You know, it's like you said, they might not lose a year of eligibility. This is just free reps, pretty much. So it's it's going to be great for the team. It's going to be great for for Coach Ciano having extra time to work with these these guys. And I'm sure these these players are really excited. They get free time with Coach Ciano now. 
just to get better. It's great. It's a win-win for Rutgers, I think. Yeah, it's definitely a win for Rutgers. You know, there was some debate around the time that the Big Ten had postponed their season, saying, you know, maybe it's better if, you know, the team has a year off and Greg can go and recruit more. And he's got a a really highly rated class coming in, a class of 2021, still putting the finishing touches on that class and getting some higher-ranked recruits that normally we wouldn't even be in the conversation for. Um, but I, I got to agree with you. I think that having the opportunity to get out there and play an eight-game schedule, or actually we should say a nine-game schedule because, and I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, um, the week of the Big Ten title game, it's going to be an East-West matchup. So the one seed in each, both the East and West divisions are going to play in a Big Ten title game, but the two through seven seeds are also going to play the same day as the conference title game uh, to wrap up the season. So what do you guys think about that as a way to sort of cap off the year? You know, I like it. It, it gives Rutgers a chance to play someone that they might not have a chance to play every single year in the Big Ten. Um, it's a good opportunity to have a chance to play against a program you're not too familiar with. As a fan, that's kind of interesting to watch as well. Um, you know, over the past few years, there's teams I wish Rutgers could have played a little more often. So I think it's going to be awesome to have, you know, a, a chance to play in a postseason game almost at the end of this season, right? I mean, Rutgers hasn't been to a bowl in quite some time. Uh, I know this isn't technically a bowl game, but it's it's postseason football, right? I guess it counts. Oh, I love it. I mean, it, it's more football. And like you said, Troy, we have the chance to versus opponents that we wouldn't usually verse in a regular season. And, uh, you know, the Big Ten East that we're bursting is, you know, there's some big hitters like Ohio State. Um, they're going to be very good, and we're going to be bursting tough competition. It'll be really nice to burst someone that's kind of back, not not in Ohio State, but, you know, a lower team like a Illinois or something like that that's, you know, more our caliber. And I, I can't wait to see what Greg Shannon does with this team. Um, I know that he he wasn't really expecting this to happen, but I know that he – has been working them hard and that they're going to be ready to go because Greg Schiano is a good coach and I'm excited to see what he can do. I want to I want to get your guys' thoughts on it. Do you think it's going to be a challenge getting this team up and running again while classes are going on? Yes. Well, I mean, it, it'd be a challenge even if there were no classes going on uh, just because of, you know, you haven't put on pads in, you know, 10 months in the case of Rutgers and eight months in the case of teams like Ohio State and Wisconsin, which played postseason football in January. So that's going to be tough. Also, and this was something that was touched on in the Zoom call with Greg Shano earlier, he hasn't really had too, too much time to evaluate talent. You know, he had a couple months of off-season workouts, and before then, briefly, he was with the players before uh, spring practice got shut down due to COVID um, back in March. So, you know, he's going to have to evaluate talent and make some very important decisions, including at the quarterback position where he's got Art Sikowski coming in on a redshirt sophomore year. Noah Vidral, the transfer from Nebraska, who I think is very promising. And also Johnny Langan, who, you know, he showed some flashes. He really took on a leadership role as a transfer from Boston College. be interesting to see if maybe he earns a spot in this offense. Who do you think we see week one? I'm leaning towards Vidral just because he has experience playing with Nebraska. I mean, he's shown flashes. I mean, Adrian Martinez ended up being the starter for the Cornhuskers uh, under Scott Frost. So uh, he decided to come out here. I think he's a little more poised for Mark Sikowski. I mean, Sikowski showed some promise in the first few games of 2019 before, uh, you know, he decided to take that red shirt after Chris Ash got fired. 
Um, but it's going to be an open quarterback competition, I think. I'm leaning towards Vidral right now. I think he's just a little bit more poised and talented than Sikowski, but really it's anyone's game in my view. And I think there's a really strong chance that the guy we see play first is not the same quarterback that's playing at the end of the season. I think there's going to be a lot of switching going on, and there's going to be, it's going to be almost like an open tryout throughout the season. You know, what guy's going to step up? What guy's going to have a good game? I mean, what guy can lead this team the best? And this season is going to be a really, really extra fun thing for some, for a Rutgers fan to watch because you're going to see guys who might not get time in a full season and get a lot more chances, get a lot more reps, um, because they know this might not be the target year for, for making a bowl game. Next year, I mean, it, get, give uh, Coach Shiano an, an extra year, have a chance to work with some of these guys. So it's going to be really interesting because I think you're going to see um, some bold play calling, some, some, you know, maybe some guys in positions you might not expect to see it. Um, I think it's going to be just really, really fun to, to watch some, some non, I don't know how to even phrase this, just, just different football, I guess. I don't know how to phrase it. It's just going to be different, I think. I think you're going to see a lot of guys coming in and out I don't think you're going to see one guy at the quarterback position all season long. I think, Chris, you're right. I think it's going to be an open competition um, pretty much all season long unless one guy really blows everyone else out of the water. But at this point, I think it's anyone's game. Yeah, I, I, hap- I happen to agree with that, Troy. I think, you know, we saw what happened with the Big 12 in week one. Uh, there were upsets all over the place with the Sun Belt really showing out. And even the ACC, Georgia Tech over Florida State. A lot of people didn't see that coming. I wouldn't be surprised if Rutgers, you know, you know it's going to be sloppy football in the beginning just because there isn't nearly as much prep time as there usually is. But, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Rutgers came out and, if not outright upset someone, at least gave them a much closer game than they otherwise would have expected. So it's going to be unpredictable. I'm looking forward to watching this team. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting eight weeks. That's all I'm going to say. Well, you know, Another thing that's interesting about coming from the Rutgers perspective compared to some of the powerhouses like Ohio State and Michigan, um, you know, a lot of the players on those teams, they they have draft um, chances. They have a chance to go to the league. Right now, Rutgers is a very young team. You know, these guys have, I, I wouldn't say less to lose, but they're they're ready to put their heart on the field. You know, they're ready to play out. They're ready to really prove themselves out on the gridiron still. So, they're going to be a lot more willing to play um, even with these circumstances. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm interested to see what players opt out for those big programs and what players opt out of Rutgers um, just for this season alone. And I wonder if that's going to affect Rutgers in a positive way. I wonder if Rutgers is going to have, it's going to have less guys opting out than some of the other big programs um, like Ohio State and Michigan where you see some really key players on those offense and defenses opt out because they have you know, draft aspirations. I don't know what we'll see for Rutgers. I really don't. Um, I don't know who's going to stay and who's going to stay go out. But I think it might end up favoring the Scarlet Knights a little bit because I think they're going to have more guys that they'd be used to seeing on the field because um, they still have a lot more to prove. Um, and we all know that this team coming in is going to be young anyway um, with Cociano just taking over for his first year now. So he's got a, he's got a lot of chances to see some younger guys get some extra reps. Um, and they're, they're going to be ready to play, I think. This, this team is wide open, like we talked about the quarterback position, but it's kind of open everywhere else, too. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of chance out there. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But like we said, five weeks from now, we're excited. We can't wait. We're going to step aside. When we come back, we got a big interview coming up with John Newman. Uh, make sure to keep it locked. This is the WRSU crew. This is uh, on WRSU FM New Brunswick. We're online at WRSU.org.
joining us now to give his perspective on this is John Newman. John, how you doing? John, are you there? Yeah, I lost you guys for a second. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, John. Thanks for coming on. No problem. So let's just jump right into this because it's been arguably the most chaotic five weeks in Big Ten and to, and to some degree Rutgers history. Uh, first, you go through uh, canceling the season for the first time ever in uh, early August. And then from there, you go to, you know, a few weeks of controversy, media headlines, all that. And then a stunning reversal over the last four or five days. And now we're going to get fall football in the Big Ten after all, I guess. As a fan, what are your personal thoughts on how this has gone by? You know, uh, you know, and I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, you know, my my real job is I work at and run a public relations firm. And from a PR standpoint, you know, I think we can all agree that this has been a nightmare for not only the Big Ten but for Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren, who you know goes through this baptism by fire. It's his first big moment. And he sort of fails miserably, Um, you know, and I know that um, a lot of it was driven by the science, but then it was a lot of it's driven by politics and a lot of it is driven by coaches. And, um, you know, I don't know, frankly, if this is the right thing for everyone involved. There's a lot of money involved, which I think is a big driver of this. There's also, um, you know, the, the fact that, at least one or two teams and schools feel like that this is their chance to win a national title. So a lot of it was driven by that as well. And obviously emotions are brought to the table by not only student athletes, but by their families. So I don't think anybody, you know, really wins in all of this. And from a Rutgers perspective, you know, I have my thoughts on, you know, whether this is the best thing Uh, from a Rutgers football perspective or not, especially since we don't really know what the next, you know, two months are going to bring as far as the the virus or the flu or any of those things. I mean, I think as a football fan, I'm glad to see them back. I'm just really intrigued. I don't think the the story is over yet. I think a lot of the story is still to be written. How do you feel about this from a player safety perspective? You know, they cited... Uh, health and safety, obviously, is a big concern when they postpone the season. They talked about, you know, at the time they considered it insufficient testing, uh, high virus rates, all that. Now they've got these rapid antigen tests, which their medical people are saying is a game changer in terms of player safety. Do you feel that player safety is being considered as much as it should, or are, are you still concerned that it might be a compromise to some extent? You know, I think, you know, if you listen to... Uh, you know, I think as you guys probably did, I watched and listened to the news conference today and I thought saw the, the president of Northwestern coming out and saying that that was the big game changer for them. You know, I think the testing makes people aware if folks, um, you know, uh, obviously have COVID and can, you know, they can theoretically stop the spread. But then again, you know, what we still don't know and, you know, it's going to be you know, months or years to know the long-term effects of this thing. So I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'll ever feel comfortable as far as player safety is concerned. And, you know, I don't have, uh, you know, a son who's playing football and I understand, you know, you have to weigh, you know, their wanted desire to play. And especially if, if they have NFL aspirations, you know, the financial concerns of that versus long-term health. 
And I know the mentality is, even in the times without a virus, you know, any time they take the field, they are um, you know, at risk of injury. But I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be totally comfortable with this. And again, and I hate to keep on falling back to this, I think we're going to, long term, we're going to look back and then we're going to know. I don't think we're ever going to know in real time you know, what the situation, you know, how it, it's going to play out long term. And, and John, you said it yourself, you're a PR guy, right? I mean, you talk about the issues with, with players being on the field and the health risks involved in there. Um, and then you talk about how it was canceled and then it was pushed back. And now, now we're resuming in five weeks. I mean, from your perspective, let's say you're the commissioner of the Big Ten. What do you do? Is this the right decision in your mind? You know, I think it's um, in some ways, I guess it's the only decision they could make. If testing truly was the big hurdle and then you figured out a way to do that, you know, there's, that's one less big reason to not to, to try to play, especially when everybody's asking you to be transparent about all the reasons why you weren't playing in the first place. So now, you know, you have less reasons not to play at a time when, you know, the coach and the number one team in your conference preseason and the national champion, you know, candidate is out there basically shoving it in your face and, and, and begging you to play and asking why you can't play. So, you know, your arms are tied from that perspective. I do think it was really interesting to see today. You did have, you know, a unanimous vote of all the presidents and chancellors, but I did think the, the statement that was put out by the university that was not signed by anybody, but that was put out by Rutgers had about 20 different caveats in it about, you know, basically the reason they didn't say it is the reason behind their vote to play, but there was a lot of, you know, we're going to play, but if any of these things happen, you know, we might not play. I mean, that's sort of reading into the statement. So I, I think from a Rutgers perspective, I think it was like, you know, we're going to give you the yes vote, but we're not probably not incredibly happy about it. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, you're looking at a much weaker uh, league and conference overall. And, you know, Kevin Warren, especially, you know, if something else happens down the line that's going to be controversial, the fact that he was, you know, uh, he didn't show well straight out of the box and he was arm twisted probably into some of this decision. You know, next time something big happens like this, I'm going to wonder, you know, whether he's going to be able to, you know, how he's going to be able to lead and not be influenced by, you know, all the different personalities, the strong ones, especially the coaches. I think the coaches went out of their way in a big way to make his life difficult you know, because they wanted to show well to recruits and their current team members, as well as, you know, moms and dads that are making decisions about where their kids are going to school down the line. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit from the league as a whole to sort of how Rutgers as a program has handled this. You know, Greg Shano talked to the media earlier today about navigating all of these challenges uh, for Rutgers and for his players and finally getting the opportunity to play again. Uh, you've been a fan of Rutgers football and Rutgers athletics in general uh, and, of course, a WRSU sports alum um, for so many years. Um, I, I guess, how would you rate uh, Greg Schiano's handling of this whole COVID saga? Um, you know, I, I will put it this way. Um, 
I'm very happy that he is now the coach and our uh, and the past coach is not the coach anymore because I don't know if I feel comfortable with the past coach uh, handling the situation. You know, I do think that, you know, they got sort of slammed for not being as transparent uh, when you had all the cases break out before. Um, you know, I listened to the news conference as well, and I do think that, um, you know, he's being as honest as he can for someone, even though he has all those years of experience as a head coach in, at college and in the NFL, you know, nobody's gone through something like this before, and he's being very honest like that. I am really intrigued, and I have some thoughts about how he's going to handle this season from a player development standpoint. I think there's a really good opportunity for him to um, use this as, you know, uh, what I would say to be an eight-week training camp um, where there's really no pressure on, uh, on him as far as I think, as far as wins and losses are this year. You knew going to, into the season this would be a tough one anyway, but the fact that we still don't know who's on the roster because he even referenced that there are, are kids that have that we don't know about yet that have at least until this point or you know said they were going to opt out, and you also have you know theoretically every player having a redshirt year, so there's a great opportunity to install offenses and defenses and really play down the wins and loss aspect in order to get the program really ready for what I consider to be the first real season, which is, which starts next September. John, I know you've got your podcast, Scarlet Spotlight, a uh, new episode dropping Friday morning for some of our listeners who maybe don't follow you on social media. What can listeners expect from that next show? Who's coming on? So Sean Tucker for, um, you know, Rutgers fans, Sean was the co-captain of the 2006 season, one of the leading wide receivers in Rutgers football history. Ironically, he got hurt in the first game that season and only played in that first game, and we talked about that. Sean uh, then went on to a career in Rutgers Athletic Administration, and we talk about everything he accomplished there. He started what is now, you know, the Leadership Academy at Rutgers, and now he is one of the youngest, African-American athletic directors in the country at uh, New Jersey City University up in Jersey City, um, Division Three, and he's doing a great job there. So um, we talk about a lot of stuff. So for all the uh, folks that remember the 2006 season and things that have happened since then, uh, I think it's one of our better interviews. He's great. And then Danny Breslauer and I are going to go deep into what we just talked about and talk about our feelings about what's happened over the last X number of months and what to expect moving forward, not only for Rutgers basketball, I mean, for Rutgers football, but for basketball and athletics um, as a whole. John Newman, really appreciate you coming on the show to talk about this. Uh, appreciate your time. Hope to hear from you again soon. No, appreciate it, guys. And I'm really happy you guys get to call football games this year. I know how important that is as a WRSU alum. Hey, we're excited to get back out there, get back in the stadium, and give Rutgers fans you know, a piece of what should be some very interesting games to watch this year. John, thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, that was John Newman of the Scarlet Spotlight podcast, WRSU sports alum, uh, giving us his thoughts on a very contentious day, not just for Rutgers, but obviously for the Big Ten as a whole. We're going to step aside, and on the other side of this break, we're going to get into... 
Uh, some other stuff here. We'll also have Can We Just Talk coming up later on the show. Aaron Brightman from On The Banks coming on at 7.30. So keep a lock for that. It's the crew on 88.7 WRSU-FM, yeah, New Brunswick. I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more. I'm going to take my horse to the old town road. here on the crew Jordy Savino joined by Mike Nichols, Chris Sikonis uh, we're going to talk a little NFL because that's what I'm really really interested in after a, a pretty crazy week one in my opinion obviously we're going to get to some more uh, Rutgers football later in the show, we've got another big interview coming up so make sure to stay tuned for that um, but you know NFL week one happened and it happened with a vengeance in my opinion I thought it was a really really good week of football um, I thought there were some really good matchups that I really wasn't expecting. Um, games that I thought were just going to be really, really bad. I thought the Colts-Jaguars game was pretty good. I thought the Bears-Lions game was pretty good. The, my biggest takeaway is that it was a really competitive week in football. I'm just looking over the scores, and there was a lot of one-score one games. It was a really, really tight week of football. And I think it's going to be a very competitive season. I'm looking at all these teams, and I don't see one clear top team except for maybe the Chiefs. The Chiefs are, in my opinion, the best team in football. But after that, there's a lot of open space for a lot of teams. Um, you know, my team, the Cowboys, they lost um, in a very ugly fashion on Sunday Night Football. Uh, Mike, I know you're a Jets fan. I, I don't know if you want to talk about that yet. I'm sure it was a rough day for you as well. Chris, also a Jets fan. Uh, I, saw, I saw your Twitter feed. I know it was a rough day for you as well. So none of us won. But, you know, as a, as a pure football fan, the week one in the NFL, I thought was a really, really good week, a really competitive week with very little blowouts, except for maybe that that Browns Ravens game. Yeah, I uh, I thought it was a great week of football. I was very surprised as to how well the actual football was and the lack of flags. There wasn't that many flags in many of the games. So, uh, considering that this is week one and there was no preseason games, that was really impressive to me uh yeah like you said talking about the jets um it it it's awful i i really don't don't even know what to say it's what was today today's wednesday uh i'm just dreading the days till sunday because we we have to versus san francisco 49ers and that's a real defense so let's let's see how uh sam Darnold shows anything i am not not looking forward to it. Chris, Chris, can you give me something to look forward to in the Jets this upcoming Sunday? Because Sam didn't show me anything to look forward to, that's for sure. Oh, boy, here we go. Yeah, not a heck of a lot uh, to look forward to. I guess, you know, I don't want to give up on the team after week one, although as a Jets fan, I'd have I'd be well within my rights to do so. Um, I would say the Chris, is it really giving biggest up after thing week one? that I'm, I want to look at uh, going down the stretch is two things. One, I want to see how Sam Darnold progresses, how he bounces back from adversity. He's not going to have Le'Veon Bell for the next couple weeks, and we know Denzel Mims having some trouble with the hamstring. So that's going to be an issue on one end. Um, I also want to see how this Jets secondary sort of collects itself because that was probably the one position group in my mind that showed the most signs of life. 
you know, bless Austin, Rutgers grad, love him. Uh, he had a couple good takeaways. Marcus May was very dynamic. If the Jets can sort of utilize that secondary to their advantage and generate some sort of a pass rush, maybe that's a bit of too much to ask. But if they can do those things, I think they could at least make it a bit of a game. Chris, is it, is it really giving up after week one if it seems like it's the same Jets team as the past couple of years with the same incompetent head coach? Well, if that wasn't designed to make me maximally upset. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the same coach, and it's pretty much the same team, minus a few pieces, minus your best player. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the Bills are a good team, and you guys only lost by 10, so it's not. it could have been a lot worse, I think. Um, I know it was a late comeback. It could have been a lot uglier than a 10-point loss. But, I mean, what is your expectations? You, you and Mike, what are your expectations for this season? Because you didn't add too much outside of the draft, and you still have Adam Gase as your, as your coach. Well, you were saying that we don't have, the Jets don't have their best player. They don't have their two best players. They don't have C.J. Mosley also, who chose to opt out, which sucks. Um, yeah, the Jets chose uh, not to re-sign Robbie Anderson, or, well, they may have not come to an agreement. There are rumors that there was a contract offered. And, yeah, he went off for over 100 yards in the Carolina game. So that was great. But my expectations for this team, I want to see six wins, seven wins. But I, uh, the thing is, I want to see some fight. And that Bills game, yeah, you said it was only a 10-game loss, but 10-win loss, excuse me. But... There's no way that that game was competitive in any sort of way. They should have just done something to stay in it and show some fight, show some heart. Like like Chris said, the only position group that showed any heart was, you know, the the secondary and the defense. So I want to see six, maybe seven wins, maybe. Um, but real, and I really am looking forward to Sam Donald growing and showing some growth. I want to see better footwork. Him. And I want to see him making smarter plays instead of instead of taking a sack. Might as well just throw it away. You know, it's not worth taking three, four yard loss, which I, I saw way too many times yesterday. It was very upsetting. Mike, is is seven wins? Is that a good thing? Because that might keep Gase in town. Don't, wouldn't you prefer a two win season and get Gase out of there? Hey, you you said what I want to happen. Uh, I mean, I I yeah, I kind of would like to see. Adam Gase gone, but at the same time, Sam Darnold is 23 years old. Um, if we get another coach after the season and Sam Darnold stays and they don't choose to blow it up again and go the Trevor Lawrence route, depending on how bad this season goes, um, that would be his third coach in, I think, four years. That that would not be good for this, for this coach uh, and for this player. So we need Sam Darnold to have some continuity in the offense. So, what I'm looking forward to, what my expectations, I want the best to happen for the Jets. And, gotcha. Uh, I, I mean, listen, I, I'm not a fan of Adam Gase at all, but I got to give him a chance. And, uh, you know, if they get two wins, then, then of course, I'm going to want him gone just like any other Jets fan. But I know the best thing for Sam Donald is continuity. Listen, I'm, I'm just speaking from experience. I, I just know I, I went through Jason Garrett being my team's head coach for a very long time. And it seemed, it seemed like an eight-win season was almost the worst thing that could happen to me. Just because it kept that guy around in charge of my team. It kept us with bad draft picks. 
And it was just like a never-ending cycle. So I, I know for myself, I would have very gladly taken a two-win season if it meant, you know, Jason Garrett gets the heck out of town and we start over. Um, you know, I just I know that some people are okay with that route. Some people never, you know, they want to get the most amount of wins every single season. And I get that. I 100% get that. It's just you're scared because I know the biggest thing like Mike do you want do you want Gase gone at the end of this year even if even if he has a decent season I mean it depends if it's a decent season due to the strength of their defense and not really the growth of Sam Donald then I would probably want him gone I would love to see Greg Williams elevated from the defensive coordinator position to the head coaching job that would be ideal for me you know uh Giving Sam a new offensive coordinator is not ideal, but if Sam Donald isn't isn't progressing the way he should be, and they, like I said, they don't blow it up again and choose the Trevor Lawrence route, which uh, I'm already seeing headlines, and it it is September 16th, and that they're gonna blow it up and go the Trevor Lawrence route, which is like incredible. Uh it's it's like when every Jets season starts, it ends at the same time. It is it is not good, but yeah, if it's six wins through the strength of their defense, then yes, I want him gone. Um, if Sam Donald shows no progression, I want Gase gone. If Sam Donald shows progression, progression, and wins six win and wins six games, and I mean, I don't really want to see him stay, but I know it would probably be best for Sam Darnold to keep the same playbook, the same language, because that's tough for a quarterback. Yeah, real tough, real tough. I mean, how did you feel when, when the Jets drafted Sam Darnold? Were you, were you a fan of him, or have you just grown to like him? Um, so I, I have nightmares of when the Jets drafted Mark Sanchez. Uh, I didn't like him coming out of college, and I was like – I don't want another USC quarterback. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're California guys. You know, they're not used to playing in cold weather in New York, and they don't perform. And I was like, yeah, you know what? Maybe, maybe I'll just take uh, Josh Rosen. I'll go UCLA instead of UC, USC, which Josh Rosen is. That's Thank God they just didn't drink. Well, that didn't work out, yeah. Yeah, but I, I can't say I want a Sam Darnold. I was expecting Baker to fall to the Jets at three, but – we all know where Baker ended up, and we all know where Sam ended up. I am, I am growing to like him um, just because you, you see the talent. You see the talent. It's almost like pouring out of him. It's just he, he makes the same mistakes over and over again. Um, but uh, he's so young, and he's younger than Daniel Jones, who's the coach of – coach, I'm sorry, quarterback of the New York Giants and coach and so many other quarterbacks in the league. So I am excited to see what he can become. Listen, I'm not I'm not the best person to ask on this conversation because I USC is one of my least favorite college football teams in the country. Um, I really did not like Sam Darnold in college. Um, no matter where he went, I wasn't going to like him coming into it. So I'm, I don't have a very unbiased opinion on it at all. Um, so I won't I won't tell you my feelings on him too much. I know Chris knows though. Um, one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of him is his face, and I won't dive into that too much. But Chris, I, I you know. You were high on Sam Darnold, I believe, right? When he still came am. In, or you still are. You still are. I mean, you saw him struggle a little bit week one. Are you, are you nervous? Are you skeptical at least? I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I said this on Twitter on Sunday after uh, the Jets-Bills game came to an end. I said, anyone who is critical 
of Sam Darnold. And I'm not going to say he's not deserving of some criticism. I mean, he made some mistakes like throwing across your body, not having your footwork set, like stuff like that he should be doing better with than he actually is. I, I'll, I'll pose this question to both of you. I'll, I'll start with you, Troy, since you ask me about it. Um, if Josh Allen were playing for the New York Jets, how much better do you believe he would honestly be doing compared to Sam Darnold with that offensive line, with that team, with those weapons? Well, can we be fair here for a second? Can we take the Jets out of the equation and can we say how much do you, what do you think the Bills would be like if you put Sam Darnold on that team? I, think I don't think a lot of team. Yeah, I think they'd be a good team too. But I don't think adding a quarterback to the Jets is going to be fair to anybody because I just don't think anyone's going to be really good with them right now. Oh. Um, and that has to do with the coaching. I don't. Th- I think the Jets have talent on that team. I just think Adam Gase might be the worst coach in the NFL right now. Um, and I think he was one of the worst coaches when he was down in Miami. And for some reason, somehow he snuck his way inside of your guys' franchise. And I don't know how he did it. Maybe it was something to do with the smelling salts. I'm not sure how he did it, but he got in there. So I don't think it's a fair comparison to say, well, how would Josh Allen do in the Jets? He'd do really bad, too. Um, but I think Sam Darnold does really bad on the Jets as well. Now you take Sam Darnold and you put him on the Bills, I think the Bills would be in a very similar situation where they are right now. I think those guys are pretty evenly... Um, e- I think they're an easy comparison to make between the two guys. I, I don't think one of them is that much better than the other. Um, but I don't know. I don't know who's better. I don't know if Josh Allen is better than Sam Darnold. I think Josh Allen has the advantage just because he plays for a better team. So we've seen him play for a team that can finish above 500 and make the playoffs. So I just have a hard time imagining Sam Darnold doing that with where he is right now. But no, I think you're right. I think if you put Sam Darnold on the Bills, I think they'd be about the same. If I don't know if I'd say better. I think they'd be about the same. Mike, you want to get on this? Yeah, Chris. Um, if I, I forget who had the fourth pick in, in that draft where Sam Darnold called us. The, the Browns had the fourth pick. Browns also? had one and four. One and four. All right, I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go with the Cleveland Browns because whoever goes to the Browns are they're dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> but whoever had the fifth pick, I believe, was the Giants or the Colts, whatever it was. If Sam Donald went to any other team but the Jets, I think he would be a solid top 18 quarterback in the league. Nothing crazy, but I think he would be a solid quarterback. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Troy, he's the quarterback of the Jets, and he's not going to be good. Partially because of the coaching, and partially because he's on the Jets. I think whoever gets drafted to the Jets is just goes there to pretty much die. And if, if you can if you can live, then Jamal Adams lived long enough to get a trade. Then th- that's what's pretty much gonna happen. I they don't have any luck drafting quarterbacks. Um, I think Sam Darnold would be a better player if he were on the Buffalo Bills. He would have better position groups, better offensive line, much better defense. And I think the only difference between Josh Allen and Sam Darnold is that Josh Allen can run a little bit. That that's about it. Well, other than that, I think they're very, very similar. Uh, Josh Allen may have a little bit more accuracy problems than Sam Darnold, but first comparison between the two. Well, can I can I point out the reason why I think sometimes these quarterbacks work out for teams and some of them completely flop? That you see, like what happens with Josh Rosen. Um, I I think the problem that a lot of teams run into, and this is the mistake they make first, is they they get a quarterback first and then they say, all right, let's get a coaching staff. That doesn't usually work. It doesn't usually work at all. I think it's a good idea for these teams to start going away from that idea and saying, hey, 
you know what? Let's set up a system that will, they will have a chance. To, if you put some talent into it, we can win games. Not let's get a piece of talent and then build a, a coaching system around them and hope it, it wins games. And I don't think I think that's why you're seeing Sam Darnold struggle. He kind of just stepped in, and they're like, "All right, we got a quarterback. Now let's build a coaching staff around him. Now let's build a team around him." I just think the NFL is too competitive right now that you, that you really can't do that. Um, you have a decent team that you can build, and you can just drop one quarterback into, and he can learn the system. You know, I think you have a, an opportunity to be to be more a much more competitive. I think a team that displays that is the Colts. The Colts, you know, they have a system set up. They have a lot of good talent in there. You add a franchise quarterback to that team, and I think they can be really competitive. Were the Jets a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl when they drafted Sam Darnold? No. They weren't even close. They weren't even close to being a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl, unless that quarterback is like Patrick Mahomes, and, you know, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and even that, I don't even know, because I think, I think Andy Reid has a lot to deal with, with Patrick Mahomes' success. I think he's a good coach. But I think the Jets... They really needed to build a system first and then add that talent. And I think that's kind of why Josh Allen's working out a little bit better because I think he stepped into a system that was ready to draft a quarterback. They were ready to add a guy and add a piece and then become competitive. Whereas on Sam Darnold's end, he's just kind of expected to figure it out himself with, with Adam Gase as his coach. And it's just not going to work. It, it's really not going to work. you got to have a system set up for your guys. I'll put it to you this way, Troy. You got to build the foundation before you build the mansion. Your star quarterback is the mansion and the coaching staff, offensive line, all that. That's the foundation. You don't have the foundation. You can't blame the house for collapsing. Yes, I agree. So, I mean, the Jets didn't take that route at all, though. You know, there's blaring holes on that team still. And they, they added... Sam Darnold, and I don't think it's fair on Sam Darnold for me to criticize him because he didn't really have a, a fighting chance, in my opinion. You said it. You have to have a foundation set for him, and there was no foundation set for him there. He was drafted and expected to, to get his team to being 8-8 eight and eight and being competitive, when in reality, the Jets were much farther than that a few years ago when they drafted him. They really were. And by, by thinking that we can bring a guy at like Adam Gason and say, all right, we have a good coaching staff, now we just need a quarterback and we have a chance to be really good, that doesn't work 99% of the time. Unless you get like, like a coaching prodigy, a young guy who comes out of nowhere and you really see his value like Sean McVay or something like that. Nuncio that doesn't Campanile. work. Or Nunzio, maybe. I don't know. It, it just doesn't work. It's not going to work. And Adam Gase is so far from being a guy that will make that work. And now the Jets find him in a really, in a really tough position because there's talent there. There's really good talent there in Sam Darnold. But guess what? He's paired to a coach that stinks. And they've been tied up together. And Sam Darnold, unfortunately for him, his career has been tied to Adam Gase. Now, if, if it's almost like if the ship goes down, the captain goes with it. And in this case, is, is Adam Gase the ship and, and Sam Darnold's the captain? Is that fair? Is that fair to make Sam Darnold, to drag Sam Darnold with, with, with uh, Adam Gase's awful career? Because I don't think it is. But then, it's, then you get into the conversation. It's like, all right, we've, we put four years into this guy and Sam Darnold. He hasn't gotten us above, 800, uh, above 500 yet. Time to draft another quarterback. And then you just continue that pattern. And that's why the Browns have been so bad for so long. You've seen them struggle for two decades because they keep just doing that. How many quarterbacks have they had? That's the constant variable. And all these teams that have been bad for a long time, they have double digits in quarterbacks in two decades. Like, that's not a good... I know the Jets haven't followed that path exactly. They had Mark Sanchez for a while. But guess what? Those teams were at least competing. They had a good defense. They had a good coach in place for, for a little bit. Now the idea that you just get one good, talented quarterback and you can win a Super Bowl, that's so untrue. It's so untrue. 
It's you, you look at the teams that actually win Super Bowls, guess what a constant variable is in that? Good coaching. Good coaching. You build the foundation first, the rest will follow. The Jets rushed into it. They took Sam Darnold, an awful coach along with him, and now unfortunately for him, he's going to get dragged down in the mess if, if the Jets don't figure this out. And I really hope when firing Sam Darnold, it's not like, all right, let's tank for Trevor Lawrence. Because guess what? Sam Darnold's still a good quarterback, I think. And that's, that's coming from a person who really doesn't like Sam Darnold because of his USC days. I, didn't, I wasn't impressed with him. But for what he's done with such bad coaching, it's a little impressive to me. And I really, really hope that if the Jets have a bad season, everyone understands, guess what? It's probably Adam Gase's fault. Let's not drag Sam Darnold down with him. I mean, what are you, I mean do you guys agree with me on that? Like, would you yeah, really I, want I, Trevor Lawrence? Would you give up already? No, no, no. I would not give up on him. But my, my thing is, Troy... I do agree with you that, and I love uh, Chris's analogy with the foundation of the house because it's 100% true. However, a lot of these teams, when they draft a quarterback, they don't really have a choice. They they need a they need a quarterback. Now, I would argue I would argue that they do have a choice in who their coach is at the time when they draft the quarterback. That they do have that choice. They don't have the choice of whether their defense is good, their offense their offense is good. If you have that opportunity, like the Jets, to draft Sam Donald, who can be that franchise quarterback, you have to go get him. It doesn't matter if the defense is good or not. It's You have the opportunity to draft a quarterback that's, oh, they say it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, or you know this guy can be that guy. You need to take that opportunity. And then you surround him with good coaching. The Jets failed to do the second part. And, you know, I... Uh, I wish that they had a good defense in place like the Bills did for Sam Darnold, but that's just not what it is. And you teams don't always have that opportunity to bring a guy in in a perfect situation. When you're drafting that high, a lot of times you're drafting at three or five is because your team is awful and you need something to help turn it around. And that quarterback is supposed to be it. You're supposed to surround him with good coaching and the Jets failed us at the second part. I hope that I'm wrong about Adam Gase, and I hope that he gives, uh, turns the season around and gives Sam Darnold the tools, but I don't think it's going to happen. Mike, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, right? I get it. I understand that you see that you, you, know, you think that guy could be the quarterback for you. But we see good quarterbacks come up every other year, it seems like. You see that generational talent come up every other year, every third year at least. I can take a lesson from what, from what the Cowboys did, despite Jason Garrett being an awful coach. You know, they drafted really well for a short period of time. They drafted those key pieces on their offensive line. They struggled. They went 500. They went worse than 500 for a few years. Um, but guess what? They built up a team first, and then they added that piece at the quarterback position. And then Tony Romo, no, his no, career, he they, had a good... They had Tony Romo. They had Tony yeah, he was, he was struggling, though, because a lot of the seasons he wasn't finishing. So they were finishing below 500 or 500 anyway because he was hurt. But, but, the, but they, had, they had the piece at quarterback. There was or, two or years in there where, where Tony Romo's career was wrapping up. And guess what? But look at this. Dak Prescott, a fourth-round quarterback, steps into a system because guess what? They built a team first. They built the team. He, Dak Prescott, if you put him on the Jets... Wouldn't have been that good, but they built a team first, and then they inserted that piece. And notice, that piece wasn't a top-four pick in the draft. But they used those top-four picks, their, their, top, their first-round picks, on building an offensive line and building some defensive pieces in there. So when a guy comes in to play that quarterback position, the most criticized position in the NFL, he had a supporting cast. Hey, listen, I'm not, I'm not 
I'm not going to disagree with you and tell you that there's that there's better ways to go about it because listen that that is the ideal way to go about it to listen to to, to go from Tony Romo who I think is an underrated quarterback I think he it was a great quarterback I unfortunately didn't have any success in the playoffs that Des Bryant did catch it I don't I don't really care what anyone else says um, <laughs> you're right about that. He did. He did. That was that was so unfortunate. Robbed. Although I was happy to see Aaron Rodgers. Um, is that the year they won? He won the Super Bowl. Aaron no, Rodgers? they got knocked off. They got knocked off by the Seahawks in the next round, and then the Seahawks oh, went on. Okay. That was the year where the Seahawks should have ran it, I think. Yeah. Okay. Should have gave it to Marshawn Lynch. Uh, yep. I wish. Uh, I just like the Jets should have gave it to Le'Veon Bell. But um. <laughs> No, there's definitely different, better better ways to go about it, and the ideal way is to go from a Tony Romo to a Dak Prescott. However, how many times do you see quarterbacks drafted in in the third round and they just end up flopping? Like, who was? Uh, I think the the Giants drafted a guy in the third or fourth round uh, two years ago. Never heard of him again. Um, Jarrett Stidham was drafted in the third or fourth round. He couldn't beat out Cam Newton for the starting job. And that's no diss to Cam Newton. I think he is a Pro Bowl quarterback, great quarterback. But I don't see Jared Sinem becoming a guy. I, there's so many fourth, fifth, sixth-round quarterbacks. Not all of them turn out to be Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, or Dak Prescott. There's Or Patrick Mahomes in this case. Like, there's, I, I'd argue that there's just as many of the best quarterbacks in the league right now weren't those top five picks, you know? What do you mean Patrick Mahomes was drafted seventh overall? Yeah, but he wasn't a top five pick. No one traded up for him. No one was like, we got to get up to get into this round, into the top no, five, to, I, just I to think, get Patrick I Mahomes. That, I think the Chiefs... It's not the clear-cut guys coming out of college that you have to get sometimes. What's that? No, I agree I agree with you, but it's still a top-ten pick. Yeah, yeah, but again, it paired with good coaching. It wasn't like we see a generational talent who can pull us out of the dirt and get our, our team up. You know, no one traded up to get it. It wasn't like we got to jump into the top three to get him. We understand the value of these top four picks. And even outside of the top five, possibly the best quarterback in the NFL. Well, he is the best quarterback in the NFL right now. Didn't go in the top five. I mean, look, how many quarterbacks were taken in the top seven in a few years ago in Sam Darnold's class? It was Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. And then closely followed by Josh Rosen as well. Like, there's just so many quarterbacks in this flooded market that I don't necessarily know if you need to spend a top three pick and if you're not ready for it. Well, Patrick Mahomes did have the uh, – he was able to sit behind Alex Smith for an entire year, which I believe helped him tremendously. Uh, yeah, well, like you said, the, the thing about Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes, what's the thing they both have in common? Good coaching. And the Jets clearly don't have any good coaching in place. Um, I think that there's many times where quarterbacks are drafted in the top five, top ten – Top seven, if you want to swim it down that much, and that they're the the guy that they don't necessarily turn the franchise around, but they they make strides for their franchise. Some look at look at a team like like the Texans when they drafted Sean Watson. I believe what was he like ninth overall? Um, I think he fell to fourteenth. He, he fell to fourteenth. I think he fell to fourteenth. Yeah, oh my God. I How believe did he fall to that 14th? number that number sticks out to me. Because I know Mitch went before him. Oh, that was. And that I think was Patrick joke. Mahomes went before him. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, 
But look, like uh, there, I, mid mid first round, that talent is still available. Like it's just, I think the idea. It's not even so much about being the top recruit coming out of college football. It's just having a decent coaching staff. You have all these guys are talented. If you're being talked about as a quarterback in the first round, they've got talent. It's clear they've got talent. You know, just put a good coach with them, give them give them an opportunity, and they'll probably be good. You know. I want to talk more about this. We do have to step aside to go to break. Um, We can talk a little bit more NFL as well. Obviously, more Rutgers football talk coming up as well on the other side.